HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today's episode is sponsored by Hearst Ranch. It's the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef since 19... since 1865. I was off by a whole, uh, what is that, century? Um, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that is as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more info, go to hearstranch.com. Today's episode of The Food Scene. Lucky enough to have Grace Bonney of Design Sponge and her wonderful husband, Aaron Coles. Thank you for being on. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, I think I already got teased, unwittingly teased, when <laughs> you asked me, how do you know about Design Sponge? And I said, well, my girlfriend told me so. How often is that a response? I'd say, if, uh, if I'm asking a guy, I would say about 99.9% of the time, that tends to be their response. It's either a, a wife, a husband, or a sister. Yeah, but you know how many dudes actually read. <laughs> I mean, you have almost 200,000 followers on Twitter. What is your subscribership to, you know your rss feed to your website i think we have over a hundred thousand rss followers and we have like over seventy thousand readers a day just on the main site so it's, it's a nice following it is it is primarily the ladies though yeah <laughs> well two things uh both you and aaron work full-time on design sponge now correct mm-hmm. correct okay let's talk about 2003 um, <laughs> when this was just a glimmer in your eye you originally went to school for journalism at nyu well i went to i have sort of a, a random college pass which looking back now makes a lot of sense but i went to nyu for a year and a half and studied journalism hated the school loved the city uh, so i moved back to uh virginia where i'm from and i finished up with a fine art degree at the college of william and mary and graduated and thought Good God, none of this makes any sense at all. What do you do with two years of art and two years yeah. of beginning? I'm a jack of journalism? all trades and exactly. unhirable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. Um, but I, I had done a radio show, so I decided to try my hand at music, and I worked for a record label for a year and found out very quickly that I was not meant for the music industry. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Uh, it was just not for me. I worked for a small label, which was awesome, and I ended up working with Mike Gordon from Fish on his solo album. That's awesome, yeah. And, which was a really cool experience, but I think that the whole thing was just quite a scene and it was a, a little overwhelming for me so I decided to go back to art my other big passion and got the first job I could which was in PR actually and so that's how I got started meeting uh, you know writers and editors at magazines and that's when I realized that was what I wanted to do and it was Aaron's idea to actually start the blog you're welcome you're supposed to say you're welcome <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're welcome <laughs> now when that transition was happening um, you said you were meeting writers and artists that kind of inspired you. What kind of writers and artists? Is, um, were you mainly oriented in the design world, or was it fine arts? or uh, Primarily design. I think I've always been sort of a, a home product design person. I think I love, I love and appreciate fine art, but the site has always been way more about products and yeah. furniture than it has like fi- traditional fine art. But uh, I was working with like the Borolex and some really amazing sort of big time designers that do like big fancy expensive furniture. None of these things I actually yeah. own in my own home, but um, just super inspirational. Almost a lot of the work they did is, is primarily sort of conceptual or like large um, like hospitality installations, things that you can never really have at home. But it blew my mind because nobody teaches that in college. Yeah. No one shows you obscure French designers. So getting exposed to that and seeing people whose primary job was to just write about how cool that was. <laughs> Seemed like the greatest job ever. Yeah, yeah. And then in 2003, 2004, Design Sponge was born. Was born. Now, how was it born? How was that transition actually handled? Did you just say one day, I quit everything, I'm going to sit <laughs> at my house and start blogging? Oh, uh, no. I don't, I don't know any bloggers that do that anymore. I, th- I think it was a very slow, gradual thing. I started the blog really quickly. Aaron and I had brunch in Williamsburg back when we used to live there, and we were talking about, I think I was probably blithering <laughs> about how much I liked the design of the restaurant, and Aaron said, you know, you should really take all this stuff that you're interested in and turn it into a blog, and maybe you could use it as like an application to write for a magazine one yeah. day. And so that's how it started overnight, and um, eventually over the years it became sort of the magazine that I hoped I could write for and so I don't I didn't leave my job till 2006 I think yeah it was a couple of years for sure yeah yeah so, do you remember that brunch do you remember which restaurant it was that you said I uh, love the interior it was Union Picnic it was Union I think at that point it was at one point Union Picnic and then and they Union changed Star? it it might yeah. have also been Union Star but it's no longer it's it no doesn't longer no. it was great yeah it was just like an old school Williamsburg place where we would get, uh, what we get like chicken and waffles. Elvis sort of. waffles. Yeah. Oh, the Elvis <sighs> toast. Elvis toast. That's it. And uh, yeah, the, it was a fantastic restaurant. Free Bloody Marys <laughs> with brunch, wasn't it? I don't know if they were. Uh, you know what they I were? Think they were they free. Did have free, which is more the reason it should still be around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe it's the reason why they're no longer. <laughs> exactly. A hundred thousand dollars in Bloody Marys. <laughs> um, Williamsburg, 2003-2004, was this hotbed. Epicenter of design. Well, I mean, what was happening? Who was there? Who, was, Everything. who were the movers I mean, and shakers? Prime, primary, you know, the Pied Piper of Williamsburg Design, Dave Alhada for the Future Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people sort of are like, oh, over the Future Perfect at this point. But he really was responsible for pulling together all that like disparate group of designers and saying, these people rule. You should be paying attention yeah. to them. I'm going to rep them. I'm going to support them. And he put them on the map, and it sort of blew up after that. And that style of like using reclaimed things and celebrating things that look, tra- you know, like a takeout container 
containers that yeah. became all the rage. And now you see that at like, you know, Crate and Barrel and it's yeah. a big thing. And b- with the Nomer Brooklyn, you know, aesthetic. Oh, you, just, like, you can just put the word Brooklyn on it. Yeah. People like, oh, yeah. that must make it cool. <laughs> Jeez, so 2004 to 2006, you were still incubating uh, Design Sponge, but there was a big hit in New York Times when you were mentioned in <laughs> the home section. Uh, what, what was the article specifically about? Uh, it was sort of the best and worst piece of press you could ever hope for yeah. as, a, as a blogger. Um, it was a story about how design blogs were sort of becoming a thing, and they interviewed uh, a couple different des- bloggers, all of which are, are still around, Maxwell Department Therapy and Harriet Moco Loco. And I think because I was the girl, I got to be the person on the cover of the section. <laughs> and I had, I had heard from the writer who wrote it that it was going to be this nice piece, and then somehow it ended up the times decided to allege that i was being paid to write what i write about because i worked for a pr firm yeah and you were like i wish <laughs> i i know and well, it was it was so funny because my boss was actually really angry yeah. that i kept the blog because she was worried that the things i said would be associated with the company that she ran so it was actually a bad thing for her and she did not want anything to do with the blog so long story short you know i got my first taste of what it's like to have somebody say something about you publicly that has repercussions so yeah. i spent the first year of my blog obsessing about being as transparent and honest as possible so i think it it really set actually a very good tone going forward to remember to always tell everybody anything they could possibly need to know about you to give them that choice whether it bothers them or yeah. not so i mean what is the model of being transparent how do you approach your style of journalism you know separate from others i mean i, I think that it's funny because today today we actually were doing this whole series and we write a column called the biz lady series which is all about free business advice and we're talking about blogging ethics in yeah. the last next couple of weeks which is not something people ever do not put the word ethics and blogging together yeah. you know, normally in sentences but because of what happened to me in 2004 or 2005 when that came out i take all that stuff really seriously oh, yeah. so i mean I, I think that people are trying harder to make sure they credit things that they don't copy people that they're honest about if they're paid to do something if they get a free sample all the sort of standard stuff that you would yeah. assume people would disclose it's they like don't... slander and libel went out of the window in the <laughs> 80s and like, yeah. yeah or like payola from the 50s yeah yeah <laughs> it really did i mean there's so many sites where they they get things for free um and the whole strategy is send send a blog or something free yeah they'll probably write about it and usually they don't say that they got it for free they're like oh i just got this new you know yeah whatever thing that's it's how look how cool it is and people oh that's so cool and it's in it's it's an endorsement yeah and you know it's just free publicity for the person i mean for the brand and it's a free object for the blogger in full disclosure have you ever received anything for free We've we've received stuff all the time unsolicited. I never give my address out, but once one PR person gets it, every PR person gets it. So our house is like this embarrassing like stack of boxes of unsolicited things, all of which I either give back or donate or send back. We don't accept free things. That's just sort of a flat out like old school dinosaur rule that I I enforce upon all of our editors. It's offered a lot. Oh yeah. What are some of the more ridiculous things that you've received that don't have? any relation to design sponge itself like you would never write about or never one time years ago i got baby stuff in the mail yeah. that's always the weird thing for some people who run like baby based companies like designer diaper things don't understand that that is not the same thing as home design yeah <laughs> and they'll try to convince you desperately that it somehow is related to like cutting edge design so i think kids stuff tends to pop up yeah. more often than not but it, people have gotten better because they realize that i just flat out will send it back or say like i can't use this yeah but I, th- I think I'm the only one, though. I think most people are like, "Sweet, I'll take this free stuff." They yeah. treat her like she's crazy, and, <laughs> and like the the brand, both the brands and other bloggers just are always like, "Wait, you don't want something for free?" Yeah, but it's not free. 
No, you know, no. It is, it's, it's implied that you know, you're now you, you sort of owe them a favor. Yeah, there's some or, inherent weight that goes yeah. right. well, with it. And it's especially difficult for the niche that I'm in, which is in like sort of independent indie designers. Those people, those giveaways, those freebies they send you, that costs a lot for them. I yeah. mean, they really need that one sale. And so that's why I always say, do not send me samples. Your money is better spent somewhere else. And I always advise small businesses that too. Like someone requests that you send something so that you can evaluate it and then you send it back. That's one thing. But to just send somebody like a stack of pillows and say like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. I hope you like them. You know, that sort of stuff happens all the time. So I just try to avoid the situation altogether. Yeah, we'll talk about the perishables after because I've had a couple situations where something was sent. I didn't know it was sent. I was away. It rotted. Then they <laughs> asked me, why didn't I say anything about it? I'm like, well, you sent me rot. And <laughs> all that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, in different niches, like, I mean, a lot of people who run beauty based blogs, I mean, like makeup and stuff, you sort of have to try before you write about. Whereas if I see a print, I can sort of tell if I like it off yeah. the bat. Yeah. 2D is sometimes kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. In about 2006, 2007 is when you started full-time working for Design Sponge. It's funny to say for Design Sponge because it is (laughs) yours as Design Sponge. Um, Because in 2007, you had written to me, uh, it was kind of a time when design magazines were closing. Um, Which design magazines were lost? All of them. I mean, other than like, I mean, the big guns are still around, like El Decor is still around and, and Martha Stewart living and that sort of stuff. But I mean, it, it tends to be the really high end ones are still around or the really sort of mainstream appealing to like Midwestern housewife magazines. All the sort of cool young ones went away. And we were just talking about this online yesterday that all these new magazines that are popping up, they're calling them just like Domino. And I keep thinking, <laughs> why don't you just bring Domino back? Yeah. It hasn't been closed that long. Just put it back together. Oh, I love Domino. So, I mean, I mean, I used to write for Domino's website and I wrote for some craft magazines and the, the reason I quit my job originally was because I got a, a full-time freelance job with a uh, house and garden magazine working on their website and that was amazing I'm really glad I have that sort of traditional old school magazine experience even just a couple years of it because it really informs the way that I run the site but um they're all gone I mean all the yeah. magazines are gone their budgets were bananas I mean the the cost of the photo shoots at those magazines alone and then, you know, the petty cash they get for taking cars everywhere. That's stuff that like a blogger would never dream of spending. Yeah. So every dollar we get is very carefully budgeted out to paying people for the work they do. And we never consider like, let's just, you know, take a car and charge everything we possibly yeah. can because it just doesn't seem practical. Yeah. I was about to ask, how are you different from those big house magazines? And it seems like there is this idea of sustainability, um, you know, that you inherently know that, people need money for other things or that you need money for other things rather than just you know flitting about that most of what you actually show on your site too is you know underneath the ethos of local sustainable Mm -hmm. supportive of the community uh so i mean yeah, you champion that. It's, yeah. a, it's a big part of what we do. And I mean, I think that the interesting thing that's different between blogs and magazines is that we really do sort of celebrate the individuals that work with us. Because yeah. I think magazines are all about the overarching brand. And as much as Design Sponge has become a brand, we really care about the individuals that write for us. Because frankly, they're not being paid a lot of money. Yeah. We're being, they're being paid as much as we can humanly possibly afford to give them. But we know that it's not, you know, necessarily as much as they would normally be paid. And so there's a lot of bartering, like, I'll give you this, you give me that, yeah. or, you know, whatever we can do. It's almost to make, medieval. Yeah, to like make their human, lives yeah. easier. We'll promote everything that their books and anything they're involved in. So I think it's very much about a sort of team effort. And we really try to take advantage of the individual skills that are there and not like smother them with the brand yeah. that's above it all. I think it's funny to think of it as putting the individual back in indie. Uh, yeah, it's it's true. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, 
creating these relationships and supporting these people, not just once, but throughout. Because you keep on seeing, you know, not just themes, but subjects reappear on your site because mm-hmm. you form these links and bonds. Do you feel like you're still a very ingrained part of the community or do you feel like you've become larger and more national and broader? I, I still feel very much a part of the community. I, th- I think one thing that Aaron and I were talking about a lot this weekend was we just I just got back from a design festival in, in Salt Lake City of, of all places and it was different because it the was epicenter a, of yeah design, I know sure. hotbed yeah. of design uh, very nice people there yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, it was the first year where I felt like people didn't come up and say hi to me because they thought like that they shouldn't or couldn't or intimidated and it was the first year where I felt like the success of the blog hindered the reactions I had with people and I it was just a reminder that I have to get out there more and remind people that just because the site has larger exposure doesn't mean that anybody behind the site is any different at all yeah, they were willing to trek to Roberta's where we taped the show in uh, <laughs> this disgusting weather um, so yeah they are real people gritty people we're very yeah. very real normal people very gritty yeah <laughs> very, very gritty um We're going to take a quick break, come back, talk about Design Sponge itself. Enough about you guys. Enough (laughs) about you guys. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Grace Bonnie and Aaron Coles of Design Sponge. It's DesignSpongeOnline.com, right? It is. Soon to just be .com. <laughs> we oh we bought the .com finally from some like squatter. random squatter that had been stealing it for years. Yeah. And- Where were they located? Well, it, originally it was a legitimate South Korean design firm that had <laughs> yes. it back yeah. in like 2003. Correct. And then I guess it, someone had tried to put in a bid and then they won it before we could grab it and we well, had to buy it back. But the design, the Korean design firm either gave up the domain or closed. They went or, out of business. Yeah. They yeah. went out of business, yeah. yeah. So soon to be designsponge.com. Excellent. Yeah. Congrats on that. Yeah. <laughs> you can still see it if you go to designsponge.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It'll just, just redirect you to yeah, designsponge.com. Yeah. But it, does, it feels like a triumph to actually get what you've been working for for so long. Well, it was a big difference to, to move from designsponge.blogspot.com yeah. <laughs> to something else. It was just such a pain to have that extra .blogspot.com at the end of yeah, everything. Yeah. Well, welcome to your own URL. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the site because... You know, we've talked about the people behind it, but the site itself is amazing and informative. And I mean, I could give you these descriptors Thank that you. are very akin to that, but it really is. And it's fascinating um, that it 
all feels so attainable. And I kind of just want to go through some of the, uh, you know, subject heads, which are like sneak peeks, mini trends, city guides, product guides, DIY, before and after, gift guides. These are pretty much lists that I keep for myself, um, <laughs> even before knowing about this, like whether or not they were a mental checklist. Um, how did you come up with these topics? Were they in a similar vein? I think, I mean... It's pretty organically. Yeah, I think everything in the site grows organically. Like, we, we never sit down and think we should really have this topic because it's a topic that's in our industry. Like, yeah. if I'm not interested in it, I'm not going to do it because your, your readers know when you're not interested in something. Yeah. So, I mean, like, the food section came out of the fact that I'm, like, like a huge food obsessor and decided, okay, I'll find a way to, to work this into the community that makes sense. So we started doing recipes with designers. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that in the kitchen with uh, aspects soon. I mean, that's not just the limit of food. (laughs) There are, you know, in the trends, there are, you know, food trends. In in the gift guides, there are for your kitchen. Um, And though the majority of the site still kind of geared towards design, interior design, there's a huge food and entertaining part. Mm -hmm. Um, What were some of your initial highlights trying to work that in? Because it seems like initially you were purely design oriented exactly i mean we used to be just a straight up product blog it was just yeah. like new thing new thing new the first thing couple years yeah exactly and then it just started to feel like a ma- like a like a magalog was the word everybody was yeah. using and i just was tired of Can like i re- say that's a terrible word i know yeah. it's, it's, it's awful it's, yeah i throw that up there with blogosphere which i also hate <laughs> um but yeah it just word. it just seemed like an unnecessary amount of of retail and i didn't want to be just about like buy this thing so we expanded into things we were interested in because it's not just a shopping site it's about sharing cool things that you can integrate into your life in any way and they just grew naturally and i like to make things by hand so i found other people who like to do that and we share you know product or project ideas and makeovers and all that sort of stuff just grew out of like things we were currently interested in yeah i think she also i remember when she started transitioning off of just talking about products specifically was it it there there became a lot of other sites that started doing sort of the same thing and it, it was harder to stand out. It was also harder to keep up with the pace of how many new products come out at any given time. And, you know, she was posting, what, 12, 20 times a day? Yeah, it was yeah. way too just much. Just all the time. And, and just became more interested in saying, what can I do that's unique? What can I do that's original? Yeah. And trying to develop our own content as opposed to, here's the new chair from whoever. Because pretty soon, you could, at a certain point, you could see that chair on... 50 sites and yeah. there's really no point to coming to ours i know when something hits like that it's just regurgitated and like with the advent of twitter and retweets oh, i mean yeah. it's that much easier well that's what it's like for me like i read a lot of like tech sites or, yeah you know and if you're reading like engadget or gizmodo and all it's pretty soon it's just hard to tell the difference you know it's not that they're not all great sites it's just that you know that if there's a new product it's going to hit every site yeah and i think grace just got tired of being one of every site yeah proprietary and that's where i think your personality started shining though in that getting away from something that wasn't connected to you uh, you started you know exploring lifestyle Mm -hmm. and you know all encompassing so you could read the site and it's like almost uh, i was about to say diuretic but i think that means something else (laughs) like a diary yeah but i mean like a diet you know a day in the life of that you can you know use all these new ideas or you know new products or you know new recipes 
Yeah, I want someone to be able to come to the site and find everything they need for their life. And I mean, we don't get as specific yet as as like what you do with, you know, family and children and things like that. But I want you to be able to like find a great recipe, find a way to decorate for like a birthday party you're throwing for friends, come up with, you know, something cool that you can decorate on your house. Like, I want all those elements to come together so you find them in one place. But the the point is that they should be ideas and reference points, not like this attainable, perfect vision of what your life has to be. It has to be something that you can relate to and then customize in your own personal way. Like, I hate when someone hands you something and says, this is what perfect is. Like, do that. Yeah. It it shouldn't be like that. The new wave of of all this design stuff is, is about finding ways to make it your own. I think this is an excellent segue into the kitchen with um, a section of the site where, as you said, recipes with designers, but the overall aesthetic, and this is, you know, as a photo editor and as a photographer, you show those imperfections. You show, you know, the the process, uh, not necessarily the hands, but a hand in. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was so drawn to the first time I actually saw um, this work. But it is that great amalgamation of somebody who's tactile and, you know, creative, making something that is replicable, but can be, uh, you know, personal. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole point was not to, I mean, some of the recipes do get like a bit more complicated or a bit fancier. And for me, I find them just to sort of like, just food porn, basically. Yeah, it's yeah. just like gorgeous picture. And a lot of the site is just about gorgeous pictures. But yeah. Christina Gill, who's our food editor who runs the column, is actually based in Rome. And she's a, a food photographer herself. And her style is, is very sort of realistic and relatable and loose and rustic. And she lives in sort of this farmhouse outside of Rome. And so everything is about sort of being loose and, and, and imperfect. Yeah. And of the recipes, a few highlights, a few favorites. Easy, hands down, the most popular recipe we've ever done was a textile designer named Lena Corwin, who lives in Fort Greene, her recipe for cranberry bread. It suddenly yeah. became everybody's <laughs> Christmas or Thanksgiving recipe. Yeah. I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten where they say, Lena Corwin's cranberry bread is so delicious. And I, I told Lena one time, and she was so happy and flattered, because it's really amazing when you can make a recipe that suddenly becomes someone else's family's recipe. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you feel like you could invite yourself over any time for dinner, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Excellent. Um, a recent one about gougeres, which <sighs> I mean, I love gougeres and total sucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, uh, a pear tart. Um, what else do we have here? Ooh, Dutch baby pancakes. We like carbs. Yeah, <laughs> not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Um, what else are we looking at? Martha Burnaby's pumpkin pancakes. <gasps> Delicious. Yeah, I mean, I think the lately we've been working with a lot of um, Australian food people, designers, photographers to try to sort of bring in influences that aren't so expected for yeah. your average American reader. So I think that's been interesting to see how people react to ingredients or styles or traditions that aren't something they immediately relate to. What are some of these foreign, you know, ingredients and aesthetics that you're well, trying to Well, one thing, which is, which is super... I think totally normal in big cities now. I remember we had a recipe for Guinness cake the other day from an Australian yeah. food photographer, and she used to work with... Um, Oh, who's the, oh, I see the British? Uh, Katie Quinn. Yeah, Katie, Katie Quinn, Quinn Davies. Yeah, amazing photographer. And um, and that was something that people immediately in the comment sections were like, "That's disgusting. Why would you put beer in something?" We we're like, silly? "No, no, no. You're missing the point. And it's delicious. And we had it the other night at um, the Vinegar Hill House yeah. and outside of Dumbo, and it was amazing. And I think it's something that's slowly working its way like in. Sticky toffee pudding. People didn't know what that was in you know New York. Exactly. 
Yeah. It, those Brits, uh, there's this concept that they don't know their food. <laughs> Lead yourself in with dessert and you'd be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and we've done some like great Mexican <clears throat> cookie recipes with, with um, food bloggers and people in Los Angeles. And those things always initially to people seem confusing for some reason. And then as soon as they make them and try them, they're delicious and they find something or some way to relate it to something they grew up with. Yeah. So it's just about trying and encouraging people to like reach outside of their comfort zone a yeah. little bit. And you mentioned Australia. Is that a trend or is that just a region, Oceania, that you're trying to draw more from? Um, I think it's sort of an obsession of mine. I think that I feel a real kindred spirit with people, especially in Melbourne, because I think that they have a very similar style to Brooklyn right now. And all of the readers we have in Australia, I just feel like we're all the same, but we're separated by an insane amount of ocean. And so (laughs) we're, we're going on a book tour next year for our book that's coming out this fall. And Australia was the first place I thought of that. I said, I don't care if we can't find any sponsorship or support from the publisher to go there. We're going there because those are our people. So I'm really (laughs) excited to try to give more exposure to that area in some way, because I think that there are a lot of amazing designers there, but because of the distance and the way that stores don't ship back and forth that often, they just sort of get, you know, they get cut off. And so I think that if we have a platform to, you know, celebrate them a bit more, I'm going to do it. Yeah, and bring some, well, Kiwis are new, New Zealand, <laughs> <laughs> and then bring some kangaroos, uh, koalas back. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> if it fits in my suitcase, uh, yes. N- new book? Yes. Let's touch book. on that. This yeah. First ever book. Hardest thing I've ever done, hands down. Uh, we have a huge, like, 400 plus page book coming out this fall called Design Sponge at Home, which is a celebration of the three most popular sections of the site house tours, do it yourself projects, and makeovers. Yeah. And so we have half of it's new and half of it's the greatest hits from the book. And it's packed with these little sections of basic like primers. So all the things you need to know about like installing wallpaper and lighting and how to arrange flowers, everything you could possibly need to know about getting your house to look the way you want it to look is inside the book. Do you have a DIY section on how to write a book about that? Oh, God, no. We do have a biz ladies post about how yeah. to write a book, though. Yeah. <laughs> we do have posts about that. And did you follow all the advice in that? Uh, post when you're writing the book. <laughs> no, I, I think I probably did the exact opposite of everything the post told me. Well, to someone do. has to do that to figure out all the wrong that you know you just yeah. do the exact opposite. Yeah, I think that's my my lesson and or mission in life is to always I do all the wrong things first. Yeah, learn how <laughs> to do goofy afterwards. and gallant. It, it yeah. is usually how you come up with the best lessons for the Biz Lady series is by teaching based on mistakes that yeah. we've made. I'm the test dummy. <laughs> it's really, I mean, that's how the, everything I've learned that has really stuck with me is usually based on something I did wrong at yeah. some point. So maybe your second book could be all the things <laughs> that I did wrong and how to stray yeah. away. How all not I know to is build that a website. Second, yeah. yeah, that second book is going to be way shorter. That's yeah. all I know. <laughs> so I want to know a covet list from you because I'm sure everybody goes on your site and says, ooh, I want that, I want that. I bet you have thousands of tabs and like bookmarks <laughs> in everybody's computer, but what do you want? What what you know? do you look at and just yearn? I actually don't have covet lists like that everyone thinks i'm like a liar when i say that but i have like maybe one folder of things on my desktop and right now i'm obsessed with like i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing this right it's either kaleem or Killam rugs it's a traditional rug yeah. from the middle east it's amazing beautiful flat woven rugs they're like thousands of dollars but i'm tucking away money to try to buy one when we move into a new apartment so i have files of those saved from different stores across the world where i want to try to buy one but other than that Running a blog like this means your brain is like 24-7, just yeah. just flooded with images. The last thing I want to do is stockpile more images. So yeah. I try to just declutter my mind at the end of the day and stay away from the idea of bookmarking anything else. <laughs> it's just designsponge.com all the time on your computer. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's what my head is. My head is like design sponge times 25 at all times. Yeah, and you said 24-7. Uh, how many employees do you have now? 
as of next week, we, there will be three of us full time. My Aaron and I both work full time, and we're bringing on our senior editor Amy full time. And then we have a group of twenty freelancers that contribute like one column a week or one column a month, whatever they have time for. Yeah, and in two thousand three, four. Just did, one. Yeah. But, I mean, did you see this? Did you see, you know, 20 stringers, three full-time? No, I didn't want anyone else to write for yeah. it. I was really, really protective of the site, cause, namely because I didn't want to have to tell anybody else that I thought they should change the way they wrote. or they had. I just didn't feel like I, I wouldn't want to be anyone's editor. And I had to sort of get over that, because it was for the benefit of the site and the readers, to have other people who have interesting things to say on the site. And I had to learn that it's okay to be a boss and to try to be the best boss you can. Oh, delegation is tough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh, speaking of interesting people, there's tons of them. Interesting things thousands of them go to design sponge i'm sure you already have i'm sure your girlfriend's already told you about it <laughs> check it out grace aaron thank you so much for being on thanks the food so much scene. For thank you me. yeah and um again design sponge.com excellent congrats thanks thanks again to hearse Rands for sponsoring jack insley our executive producer and hope to have you here next tuesday at three i'm michael harlan turkell and you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.com